Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thank you all for being with me today. My name is Matt and if you want to hit the like or subscribe button that would be great. And you can also help me out by leaving me a review wherever you listen to this or leaving me a comment below. So I'm glad to be back and it has been a while unfortunately. I've been stuck doing all sorts of stuff, traveling for work, also getting settled in my new place has been more of a pain than I really thought it was. But finally got settled in, bought a bunch of furniture, so glad about that, and I'm also glad that I had some free time to look into all of the different updates that we've seen in, in a variety of biotech companies that I'm interested in. So today's episode is going to focus on a multitude of companies, and I'm also going to touch on the exciting news that we heard today about Ameren's Vesipa, which is the advisory committee decision on whether or not to expand the label. So we'll get into all of that, and the companies I'm going to talk about today are Sarepta, Trevina, Viking, Regenix Bio, as well as Biogen. And to jump right into it, the first thing I'm just going to touch on is the macro news that's been going on, and the, the first thing is really the China trade deal that the U.S. has been trying to get through for the last while. And what we've heard is that a, a skinny version of the trade deal is underway, and we don't really know what the details of that are. We hear leaks here and there about how IP issues aren't going to be covered and certain agricultural products might not be bought by China. So we don't really know anything yet, but the there is an expectation that a trade deal will get done. And I think something will get done before the election in uh, 2020 for the United States, given that Trump really needs to, to get a victory here. And I mentioned this in the past, but whether or not that trade deal is actually going to be good for either country... It's kind of remains to be seen, but the market certainly likes the news and has been rallying uh, in such a manner. So that's the trade deal. The next piece of news that we found out was that the FOMC cut the federal funds rate by 0.25%. And now the market didn't really react too strongly to this, and uh, it does continue to, to reach all-time highs. So it seems like the anticipation of reduced liquidity in the market isn't actually having a negative effect yet. And who knows if it remains to be seen. If the market takes a downturn, I think the Fed will be reactive and continue to cut further. But as of now, they're just going to remain patient. So moving on to the actual biotech sector itself, we've seen an impressive few four weeks. I think the XBI is around 84 now. And when I last did a video, it was in the 70s. So that's overall a good sign. And to talk specifically about Sarepta, which is the first company I want to cover, uh, we heard about a month ago that they announced nine-month functional results from the SRP9003 gene therapy trial to treat limb girdle muscular dystrophy. And for those who haven't been following the Sarepta story too much, they, uh, they've been trying to treat muscular dystrophy from two different angles. One is their exon skipping technologies, and amongst those, one is approved and one they just received a complete response letter from the FDA. And the other arm of their therapy has to do with gene therapy. So rather than doing an exon skipping technology, they're trying to insert this gene through a vector and getting the cells to express the gene endogenously. And one of the struggles that the company has had is in showing real tangible clinical outcomes in the form of functional data. What they've done here is shown that in their limb girdle clinical trial that all three of their patients get an improvement in functional outcome. And we see this through the time to rise test, this four stairs up test, 100 meter running and 10 meter running. And in each case, we see that there's an improvement at day 270 compared to baseline. So the market really appreciated this and the stock is actually in the, the high 90s right now. And uh, I think they're gonna continue to, to create this functional data since obviously the market wants it and the FDA is obviously interested in it even though the CRL that was issued to Sarepta didn't really specify functional data 
But I think if they're going to have any success in the future, they're going to need to make this a priority. And it's good to see this. And I think I'm going to consider taking a position on Sarepta once there's a good opportunity. The next company I want to talk about is Trevina. And for those who haven't listened to that story, I haven't talked about it in a while, but they have a opiate-related drug called Olaceridine, and they received a CRL from the FDA earlier in the year. And the issues they brought up didn't seem like it would be that difficult for Trevina to accomplish. And one of the things they needed to do was to analyze repeat dosing QT interval data. And my impression was that it wouldn't be very difficult for them to get this. They just needed healthy volunteers to do this. So I thought that given the cash that they had and their expertise, since they've already produced similar kinds of data in the past, that it wouldn't take too much for them to do. And this is what I've shown in the bottom right corner here. They've, they've seen that there was no accumulation despite repeat dosing voliceridine, which is what the FDA wanted. Now, the issue with my whole strategy here, and I bought 100 shares in anticipation that this would be positive for the stock, is that the stock dropped around 25% when this was released. And it could be due to the, the lowish cash position that the company has, but I'm still holding. I think that the lead up to the NDA resubmission in Q1 2020 is going to be positive, especially given that the cash position they have is enough until Q3 2020. And they have a bunch of milestones that uh, will give them a lot of cash once they get FDA approval. Now, given that it might take a year for them to get approval, and we don't really know what the layout of that is, I think that uncertainty may have led to the stock drop. But I'm holding on, and I think it'll pay dividends eventually. Now, to move to a more exciting company that I enjoy talking about is Viking Therapeutics. And if you've heard my previous videos, you've noticed that I have a love-hate relationship with them and the Nash sector as a whole. And the reason for that is that Viking has really dragged their feet when it came to doing any regulatory filing. But what we heard in their Q3 earnings report is that they finally filed an IND for their Phase 2B trial for VK2809 in biopsy-confirmed Nash. Now, the things we need to pay attention to is whether or not the NDA is going to be cleared by the FDA, and then also the timeline, because... Really, it's going to be this these gaps in catalysts that are going to lead to the stock getting hammered again, in my opinion. If they initiate recruiting in Q4 of 2019, that might take a quarter or two, and then we're looking at maybe another six months before we get data. So we might not really see data until the end of 2020, and in that time, I could really see the shorts come out in full force and the stock get hammered for that reason. Now, they only had a net loss of $5.8 million in Q3 of 2019, and that's left them with a cash position of $288 million. So you can imagine that they're going to be fine for cash for a while, but as soon as they start recruiting patients for this Phase 2B, the amount of cash they're going to spend in R&D is going to increase significantly. So I haven't taken any additional position in Viking. I think the stock is likely to increase in anticipation of the FDA clearing the IND. But given the huge gap in catalysts, I'm not getting very high expectations. I think we really need to see data before we can get too excited about Viking. And their other clinical programs are still very early, and I don't think they've been doing too much in that, in that department. And to contrast that to Madrigal, who have a similar class of drug in the NASH space, they're initiating their phase three for resmitiram in the last quarter of 2019. So resmitiram is the name of MGL3196, I think the number was, and that's a similar thyroid receptor hormone beta agonist drug, which is similar to Viking, but uh, a little bit different. So that's where we are in the NASH space. To move on to Regenix Bio, they are a gene therapy company, and I've done a video on them in the past, but I obviously need to do a lot more work 
given that the wet AMD space is a lot more competitive than I originally thought it was. But for those who don't know, Regenix Bio has two sort of streams. They do a out-licensing program where they'll create vectors for companies that are looking to get into gene therapy. So they're the company that has Zolgensma, and they've out-licensed a bunch of different gene therapies for companies who are interested in getting into the space. They also have a lot of internal programs where they're going to generate vectors that can transduce a gene into a cell type and hopefully create that protein endogenously, superseding the need for a less ideal therapy. And that's what we're seeing here in wet AMD. And for those who don't know, it's age-related macular degeneration. And the treatment for this condition right now is a monthly injection of an anti-VEGF antibody. And what this does is it prevents angiogenesis or new blood cell formation, which is one of the big issues in wet AMD. So what Regenix Bio is trying to do is rather than having to get injections monthly, they want to create a gene therapy such that the anti-VEGF antibody is in a vector, an AV vector that's injected once into the eye and then cells in the retina or wherever will produce enough anti-VEGF such that you won't need these monthly injections and you'll still get the benefit of improved vision. So that's the issue, and what Regenix Bio presented about a month ago is that out of their 12 patients, three of them needed some form of rescue injection, but the rest did not, and they also got an improvement in their vision, even though it might not have been as impressive as investors hoped for, I think the data is still very promising and they're moving forward in their clinical program. They mentioned that there was no drug-related SAEs here, but there were two SAEs related to the administration. One of these were a peripheral retinal detachment, and another was an endophthalmitis post-aqueous sample collection. Now, the retinal detachment was fixed, apparently, but you can imagine that getting these kinds of issues related to the administration of the drug can be quite problematic. Regenix Bio is proactively trying to figure this out, and I mentioned here that they do have a collaboration with a company called ClearSide, and they're trying to change the way the drug is administered from a subretinal delivery to a suprachoroidal space delivery. And we're going to see data on this in 2020, and I think that if this is actually a good replacement for subretinal, this could definitely put them ahead of the other companies trying something similar. Now, there are competitors in the space, and I really need to do a deeper dive into the wet AMD space and these different companies to compare their data, but Kodiak Sciences as well as Adverum Biotechnologies is another one, and uh, I think I'll do a video on that in the upcoming weeks. But the other news that we heard is that the FDA has placed a partial clinical hold on third-party surgical devices, and this affects the compound that Regenix Bio is trying to deliver to patients, RGX314. And this goes back to the subretinal delivery. So the FDA really wants to clear these third-party surgical devices, and in the meantime is putting a clinical hold on that while they review. So I think that it's obviously a good idea, given that there's some dangers associated with it. But if Regenix Bio and ClearSide can get good data for the suprachoroidal space delivery, which will happen in a doctor's office rather than a more anesthetic condition, surgical condition, I think this could definitely be beneficial for both companies. The last piece of news that we heard is that the FDA placed a partial hold on Zolgensma intrathecal clinical trials for SMA patients based on findings in a small preclinical animal study. So more drama that's coming from Avexis and Novartis, 
unfortunately this does affect Regenix Bio because a lot of the milestone payments that Regenix Bio would get for the out licensing of this molecule are going to be delayed as the data that comes in for future clinical trials is going to delay launch of the expansion of that label of Zolgensma to different patients. So it doesn't affect the Zolgensma product that's on the market right now. It'll still reach that specific indication of patients, but Novartis and Avexis are doing more clinical trials to try and expand the label. And obviously due to some issues related to data, which Avexis is no stranger to, these trials are gonna be delayed. So hopefully this gets resolved. I don't think it's gonna be a big deal for Regenix Bio. They've obviously seen a big run up in the stock despite these issues. It's been bouncing around between like 36 and 40. But I think once all of these things get resolved, the, the stock will be cleared for a much higher valuation, and they are planning on continuing their clinical program for wet AMD, which is a good sign. Now, the second last company I want to talk about is Biogen, and Biogen has really placed themselves as a leader in the neurological space. They're really trying to figure out a way to stop the disease progression of Alzheimer's disease, and I think despite the things that people can criticize Biogen for, we still do have to keep in perspective that they're doing their best to really try and figure out Alzheimer's disease. The news that we heard is that they plan on filing an NDA for aducanumab in Alzheimer's disease based on new analysis of a larger data set from the two phase three studies that they recently canned due to a futility analysis that came back. So for those who don't remember, they did a futility analysis on these two big phase three Alzheimer's trial for this drug, aducanumab. And what they found is that if the trial had continued forward, it was unlikely to meet the primary endpoint. And they said that they were going to halt the study for that reason. Now, what we didn't know is that Biogen did two protocol amendments that were to increase the amount of drug that patients were getting in a specific trial. And what they're saying is that this new data with these two specific protocol amendments has led to a significant improvement in the metrics associated with Alzheimer's disease progression. And the CMO, Alfred Sandrock, said that he met with the FDA twice about this, making it seem like it isn't going to be a big deal and that they are going to get approval. But I'm a little suspicious of that. But let's look at the data. So the two trials that they did are the ENGAGE study and the EMERGE trial. And what they looked at here is the amyloid PET scan, which measures the amount of amyloid beta in the brain. And what we're looking for here is to see that the drug-treated group has a reduction in amyloid beta, which is what the molecule is supposed to do. On the right, we see the CDRSB, which is the measurement of cognitive function in these patients. And what we want to see is that the treatment arm has a less worse outcome than the placebo. So what we end up seeing in both the Emerge and Engage trial is that the treatment groups both have a substantial reduction in amyloid beta, which is good to see. And then in the CDRSB, the one trial has a minor reduction, and then it's not really significantly different. But in the Emerge, we do see that there is a drop-off in the level of decline when it comes to cognitive function. So Emerge had a 23% reduction in the rate of decline, and Engage only saw a reduction in 2%. And what they're saying is that the differences between these two trials is the Emerge high-dose group got a substantially more amount of drug than the Engage one, and that's why we see a big discrepancy between the two trials. Now, when it came to safety, the big issue with these drugs is the amyloid-related imaging abnormalities edema, or ARIA-E, and 35% of patients did see this side effect, 
20% of these patients had a headache. Now this might seem like a lot, but 74% of these patients didn't experience any symptoms during the REIE episode, and resolution often occurs spontaneously within four to 16 weeks. So I don't think this is great, but I don't think this overshadows the significance of this result if it's a true result. The reason why I say it like that is that I don't think the FDA can approve this drug for a number of reasons. I think that they're going to have to call an advisory committee for this, and I don't think the advisory committee is going to recommend approval. And the reason for that is that they had two trials. One of them they did two protocol amendments for, so they interrupted the trial in some capacity, and then this trial ended up being significantly different, whereas the other one didn't. So I don't think the FDA or an advisory committee could recommend approval without seeking a completely new trial, recruiting new patients, and getting a real experimental design from the outset, and then we can say whether or not this result that they get, if it happens again, is true. So that's where I'm at with Biogen. I did take a look at their Q3 earnings report, just to get an idea, because I do like their whole business. What I took away from that is that the MS growth is relatively flat, even though they are expecting more demand on a global basis. And this is important because of Biogen's total revenue. The MS franchise is 74% of all of it. We saw that Spinraza revenue growth was 17% year over year, with patient growth only 2%. And this is 19% of their total revenue. So we know that Zolgensma has hit the market, and it's going to be a bit slow to get them ramped up. But Spinraza does continue to grow at actually a decent rate. The other thing is that Biogen continues to do share buybacks, and they've repurchased 3.1 million shares at a total cost of $718 million, and I estimate based on their program that they announced last year or year before that they have about 9 million shares to go in terms of buybacks, so for those reasons especially, I'm not going to tempt fate and short the stock. And they're hoping to file the NDA for aducanumab in Q1 of 2020, so it'll take some time to figure out the timeline on that, but that's where Biogen is. I don't think they're a long or a short, to be honest with anybody, but I'm going to continue to monitor them because I think they are a pretty interesting company. All right, and the last thing I want to talk about is Amarin. We finally did it. Finally arrived at the advisory committee. It has been so long. I'm sure the company is celebrating big time right now, and they really should be because this is a unanimous vote in the positive from the Endocrinologic and Metabolic Drug Advisory Committee. They voted 16 to 0 in favor of label expansion, which would include reduced cardiovascular risk with Vasipa. Now, there's some caveats to this in that we didn't get any recommendations of minimum triglyceride level. It's going to be to the FDA to figure that out. So that's a little unfortunate, but I think the stock is going to rally a bit more on this news. The documents that came out on the 12th led to a big bullish pump into the stock, and it closed before the advisory committee at 2150, giving it a valuation of around $7 billion or so. Some of the advisory committee members did signal some concern with the mineral oil issue, but the documents that the FDA released showed that they weren't really worried about it. I've said multiple times that we can figure out the mineral oil effect without needing additional studies, so I don't think this is going to be an issue, and it seems like that is going to be the case. The bleeding issues and atrial fibrillation were mentioned, and these were slight side effects that we saw in the in the drug treatment, but again, I don't think the, the label expansion is going to be a concern. It might just include some warnings for people who happen to have bleeding disorders or have some sort of heart condition. So I also don't think these are going to be dramatic issues. The other thing that people are interested in is not only the level of triglycerides that people have in terms of label expansion, but whether or not the FDA is going to support both primary and secondary risk categories of patients. 
Now, if you go to the New England Journal of Medicine article of Vasipa, they categorize two different subsets of patients that could benefit from this therapy. And they obviously, if both are approved by the FDA, this could be a very large label and could include a substantially bigger patient population. And what we saw is that, according to some people on Twitter now, nobody really voted on this, but you could get an impression based on the way people spoke on whether or not they thought that both primary and secondary risk categories should be supported. And according to what people say on Twitter, and you know, I'm not going to make trading decisions based on this, but it seems like both these categories were supported by members of the advisory committee. So this would obviously be a big deal for Amarin and would massively increase the patient population that could be treated with the drug. So that's also very bullish news. So I think all of these things in totality might increase the stock. By how much, I don't really know. I was very overconfident about the Amune advisory committee and the stock didn't move at all afterwards, even though we've been seeing an increase well afterwards. Amarin could be a sell the news, but I'm holding strong. I've also noticed that there's been a lot of M&A chatter again in the Twitter sphere. So a lot of expectation that somebody could buy out Amarin is going on. Now, their valuation is pretty high by now, around 7 or $8 billion. I think that that's a, a tall order for a lot of companies, especially for a one-drug company like Amarin. But really, anything is possible. And Amarin has spent so much time trying to appease the FDA and get all their ducks in a row, and they've finally done it. I could see that a company that wants exposure to the cardiovascular space could buy the company. I have no idea which one. And trying to anticipate mergers and acquisitions has never been a successful thing for me. So I'm not going to try to do it today. But things to keep in mind, there's going to be an AHA presentation of this evaporate study, which is the analysis of icosapin ethyl or vasipa on the progression of atherosclerosis. Now, this is pretty interesting, too, because they didn't include this kind of data in the reduce it study, which is the cardiovascular outcomes trial. We're finally going to get some data on whether or not Vesipa is able to reduce the progression of atherosclerosis, which is one of the significant issues associated with cardiovascular disease. So that data should be interesting. And then the PUFA date has been pushed to December 28th of 2019. So this is going to be the date where we get details on the label and whether or not they do approve, even though at this rate, I think it's uh, no question that the drug will be approved, but it's to what degree is the FDA going to allow the patient population to be treated. So that's Amarin, and otherwise this week, not going to be looking at too much. I have some companies I want to analyze, but otherwise looking forward to the weekend. I'm not going to do a portfolio wrap-up because we are in the middle of the week, but overall I think with the increase in Amarin, I'm probably sitting around 5 or 10% overall in the year. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up, but I want to thank everybody for watching. I do appreciate all the support from everybody, and please like, subscribe, or leave me a comment, and that would be great, and I will see you next time.